Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, your host of the podcast, and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes those in, with detailed reports in the quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate it to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you will receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash observersnotebook. A reminder, the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the study of various solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study the submitted observations. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And now, The Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have a returning guest to the podcast, Richard Shamuti. He's a coordinator of the Remote Planet section of the ALPO, and he's also won both the Peggy Haas and Walter Haas Service Awards with the ALPO. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Thank you, Tim. Why don't you give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Okay, I am a professor at Gordon State College in Barnesville, Georgia, and I teach astronomy, chemistry, integrated science, and once in a while I'll teach a first-year experience class for our incoming freshmen. Okay, and how did you first get involved with the ALPO? Oh, it was probably back in the summer of 1981. I read an article, it was either in Sky and Telescope or Astronomy Magazine, written by, I believe, Jeff Bish, perhaps co-authored by with Don Parker, and as I recall, the article was about Mars, and um, I joined soon after, and I think I've still got my first issue that I received, which is from 1981. Oh, that's good. I've been trying to get Jeff on the podcast. He's kind of reclusive right now. Uh, I'd like to talk to him about some of the old days when when he and Don used to do some crazy work in the Mars they, section. He did some excellent work. Yeah, they were, they were good. And Chick Capin and people like that that he used to work with. Yes. Yeah. 
So the remote planets. What do you what do you mean by when you say the remote planets? What planets are we talking about? Okay, there, we're talking about Uranus, Neptune, and the dwarf planet Pluto. Okay. And, and back. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. Back when I became coordinator, which was in 1990, Pluto was still considered a main planet. And between us, we still consider the main planet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dwarf planet, though. Oh, I, I can okay. go with that, too. Okay. And uh, and so the observations that people you can make of those planets, you can't really see a lot of detail on Uranus and Neptune. I mean, you can see not a lot with amateur telescopes. What type of observations are we are we talking about here? Okay, actually, you're right and you're wrong. As far as what we see just with our eyes, I'd say you're right. It's difficult to see much of anything. Once in a great while, I think you can see something. I know Stephen O'Meara oh, well. saw something back in 1985, and as far as I'm concerned, he is the first person to determine an accurate rotation period for the planet Uranus. Wasn't he out at Mauna Kea or something at the time, too? 7,000 feet up, I think that's... May have been. Yeah. I thought he was at Harvard College Observatory, but I may be wrong on yeah. that, okay. which is Boston. Okay. But anyway, um, in the last, I'd say, five years, people have been able to use telescopes, say, 12 inches in diameter, along with a CCD camera and a near-infrared filter. It's very critical to get a near-infrared filter, and they've been able to image details not only on Uranus, but also on Neptune. With a 12-inch telescope? 12-inch telescope. My goodness, I need a bigger telescope. (laughs) So what type of detail are you talking about, though? Okay, bright polar region for Uranus. Okay. And then occasional spots which develop on Neptune. Hmm. Okay, and with, with the dwarf planet Pluto, what are we looking at there? Okay, they're about the only thing we can do there right now is to use a CCD camera and get brightness measurements of that planet. Is there much variation in the brightness? Yes. Um, and the variation probably is going to change over the next decade or two. Why, why is that? Probably because, you see, Pluto's got a very thin atmosphere, and the current hypothesis, from what I understand, is that atmosphere is going to freeze out on the surface. Now, there's a lot of albedo features on Pluto, or there was back in, oh, let's say the year 2000. But as that atmosphere freezes out, that's going to sort of mask that, and it's going to reduce the variation in brightness. Okay, what what size telescope for Pluto would you recommend, at a minimum? Okay, um, well, that depends on where you're at. You know, if you're 7,000 feet above sea level... You don't need quite as big of a telescope as if you're at sea level. Mm-hmm. Um, because you see the atmosphere is thinner and it's clearer. But if you want to get meaningful brightness measurements of Pluto, I'm thinking something on the order of 12 to 14 inches in diameter. Okay. And your brightness measurements are made with a photometer? You can do it with a photometer. I recommend a CCD camera. Okay. Right. With appropriate filters like a Johnson V and red filter. Oh, okay. All right. And what about Uranus and Neptune? What type of observations are you looking for in that way? 
Okay, just uh, really there's two types. The first, actually three types. The first is, uh, of course, brightness measurements. And uh, Jim Fox out in New Mexico has done a great job of, of measuring the brightness of Uranus and Neptune. Um, John Westfall has done some good work in the past along with a few others. And uh, so brightness measurements are the first thing I'm looking for. Okay. And again, you need to use standard filters, and you need to do color corrections on your filters, that sort of thing. And then the other thing I'm looking for, the second thing, is just images of Uranus and Neptune showing albedo features. Now, I've been measuring, for example, the latitude of the uh, bright north polar region, and I've got data over, I guess, four or five years now. Oh, my goodness. What size telescope are you using for that? Okay, now, I'm not actually measuring the me- or recording images. I'm just measuring other people's images. Oh, okay. So you're just taking their images and take, pulling the data from that. Exactly. Okay, all right. Now, the third thing I'm interested in, um, um, and I think uh, Frank Malio, Ed Grafton, believe Mel- Mark Delcroix, have all taken CCD images of the brighter moons of Uranus and have been able to get brightness measurements of just the moons. Now, again, these are unfiltered images and the brightness values are not as good as they could be, but still, I can get some qualitative information from that. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I've never contributed to the remote planet section. It's just, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, I've done Jupiter and Mars and things like that. That's interesting. One thing I want to say about the remote planets. Use binoculars. Cannot overstress the importance of binoculars. You you know, the remote planets are different than Jupiter. Um, They're hard to find. You need a star map, but you need a good pair of binoculars. Find Uranus with binoculars first, then attempt to use a finder scope define Uranus, and then use your regular telescope in that, that order. That sounds like good advice. Why Why the binoculars for the layperson? Okay, they're real easy to use. My binoculars maybe weigh a pound or two. I don't have to bend my neck and bend my body, look through a finder scope. I can just comfortably hold a pair of binoculars up, look in the sky, and I recognize the star pattern. And then once I recognize the star pattern and Uranus, then I can go to the finder scope where I have to bend down mm-hmm. and I have to hold my head a certain way. You know what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, we're getting older, so it's harder to do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, have there been uh, significant discoveries or contributions to uh, the, the remote planet section over the years? Yes. Huh, talk about this. Uh, let me give you one recent one. Um believe it was Mark Delcroix imaged one of Uranus's rings, or maybe all of Uranus's rings at once last year. He saw the faint ring, and that was really a neat little discovery he made. I believe Mark Anthony in Australia did too. I may be wrong in that. Goodness. That's pretty impressive. And those are yes. those are contributors to the program, the ALPL? Yes. Fantastic. How many contributors do you have for the remote planet section? It varies, and again, it depends on how you count them. I count anyone who sends images to the ALPO Japan latest website. I'll sort of mention 
Um, but I'd say about a dozen. It can vary, but about a dozen. Now, the ALPO Japan site, is there yes. a, uh, Ameri- a United States one similar to that, or is that just like a clearinghouse for observations for all over the world? Well, let me tell you what I like about the ALPO Japan latest. Observers upload their images. Observers upload their images. And that is why it works. And you you upload it based on the date. Ah, so you're almost getting real-time observations then. Yes. The problem with people just sending you images and then you uploading, I mean, we're talking about 10,000 images a year. And uploading 10,000 images a year is a big job. Right. And that's why I believe the ALPO Japan website is so successful. Hmm. They so, they thought about this, and they they I have to hand it to the people who put that website together. They they really thought it out well. Who runs the ALPO Japan website? Um, I don't know their names. I think it's two or three individuals. Okay, interesting. I might see if I can get them on the podcast. That would be yeah. And are they specifically for the remote planet section or other areas? Oh, they've got they've got a Mercury section, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars. Okay, are they listed in the uh, directory online? Um, if they're not, they should be. Okay, I will look for them, and if they are, I'll add them to the show notes. Of sure. This podcast as well. Wow. Um, so your your results of your observations, all the data that you reduce and things like that, it's all published in the journal. Um. Pretty much, um, um, we did have some data published in Icarus just a little bit, and then we had uh, a couple of big papers published in an online journal as well. Okay, you don't have a uh, remote planet section newsletter or anything like that that gets published? Um, I did do that once a year. I haven't done it the last couple of years. i Maybe need to try to do that, but uh, I've had commitments in the summer. I usually do that in June. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. Do you have anything else you'd like to add about the Remotes Planet section? Uh, just send us your images. Um, upload the images, them. <laughs> yeah, upload them on the ALPO Japan Latest website. Um, there's an excellent paper in the April 2017 issue of the Journal of the British Astronomical Association describing some drift rates, I believe, on Neptune. And, of course, be sure to also look at recent um, remote planets reports in the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers as well. Um, I think you'll find some good reading there and some really good images as well. Well, that sounds fascinating. Thank you, Richard. You will. How can everybody get a hold of you? Um, Well, my email is the best way, and... um, and uh, it's just S-C-H-M-U-D as in doctor, E as in Edward, at gordonstate.edu. Great. And I will put a link to that in the show notes so people can easily find you that way as well. Well, I want to thank you for again coming on the podcast. You're welcome, Tim. All right, Richard. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Goodbye.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our special guest, Richard Schmoody, coming on today to talk to us about the remote planet section. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. I'd really like it if you go on there and rate and review us. I'd really appreciate it. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is in the show notes. And we're also on, available on Google Play and Stitcher and just about anywhere else you can find a podcast. If you like what you hear in the podcast, you can help by donating to it via Patreon. You can give us a little as a dollar a month. If you feel very generous, you can give up to $35 a month well, where you will receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank our producer for this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the Observer's Notebook is available in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at ObserversNBPod. You can find out more about the ALPO by, by, by visiting www.alpo-astronomy.org, and there you can also join. We're only $14 a year. You can find out the ALPO on Facebook by searching ALPO Astronomy in the search field, and this podcast also has a Facebook page. Just search for Observer's Notebook. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, minor planets, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>